Hello and welcome to another episode of Grow Like a Pro on 610 WTVN with your hosts, Adam Bankhurst and Ron Greenbaum. And as always, we're a show all about learning how to achieve your goals and dreams as a business owner, but also how to grow as a person and learn from some of the best and brightest minds, you know, in the world. And this week, we are so, so happy to welcome two incredible guests, Leslie Poole, the executive director of Pet FBI, and Tom Berry, the director of community relations for Pet FBI. And, you know, Tom and Leslie, welcome to our show. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. You know, I'm really excited uh, for these folks, two of my favorite people, and they are so caring and giving and have been involved with a lot of uh, community service and nonprofits. And uh, this is going to be a great show. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, Adam. Yeah. And you know, I, I know we have a lot to talk about the incredible work you guys do with pet FBI and really making a difference for people. You know, one of the scariest moments when your pets are lost or whatever, but I would like to suggest that maybe we spend this whole time talking about how the Browns won a playoff game. Can we do that? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That sounds good. <laughs> I still haven't recovered. It's so exciting. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I had to get it in there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I, what is Pet FBI for people who may not be familiar with it, Tom or Leslie? Yeah, Pet FBI is a, we are a lost pet recovery group. Pet FBI actually stands for Pets Found by Internet. Oh, um, we were started in 1998. So we've actually been around for coming up on 23 years now. Uh, founded here in Columbus, Ohio, uh, but we serve all of the United States and Canada. And we are an online service where anybody can go online and post a lost or a found pet report for completely free of charge. Uh, we offer advice. We have volunteers who will assist people who are looking for their lost pet. Um, and we send out email alerts so people, you know, who have lost their pet or, or find a pet can get these email alerts of other pets in the area. And um, so we see a lot of reunions that way. So that, that's our whole focus is to get lost pets back home to their families. You know, and doing a little bit of research on Pet FBI, um, it, I, I, one of the craziest stats I found was that, you know, with shelters, you mentioned that only 17 to 30% of dogs and an appallingly low 2% of cats are recovered through shelters, which is like, it, it's kind of weird to think that way because you think that's where they all go, but it's, it seems like it's not the best place to find them. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a real big focus right now on returning pets to owners that end up in shelters. Um, and the recent, I saw a recent stat from the Human Animal Support Services Group that said that 92% of loose dogs entering the shelter belong to somebody. So 92% are coming in, but not 92% are being reunited with their families. So that's right. really where we need to focus um, as an organization and as a community and as the shelter systems. How do we get those loose pets back home to their families? Gotcha. And you know, you're, so you're the executive director and how long have you been with Pet FBI? I started in 2017. Um, so a few years, it was actually founded by uh, Marisa Finelli. She founded, she lives here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, and she started it up because she had a personal experience losing a pet and it was just so traumatic. And through that experience, she realized that there was no centralized location to post lost or found pet reports. And so that became her mission is to find one central location where anybody could post for free. Yeah, that's a, that's a great thing. And Tom, how about you? How long have you been with Pet FBI and what, what kind of do you do for them? Uh, that's interesting. I've been with uh, Pet FBI as a volunteer since 2017 when Leslie uh, became the volunteer executive director. Uh, Leslie and I have known each other since 2003. We got married in 2012. 
and we both have nonprofit backgrounds. So it, uh, when Leslie agreed to take over that role, I thought, well, let me help in any way. And part of that is helping raise money for, um, again, we're all volunteers, so there's no staff. One of the programs we help raise money for, and Ron has been a great help with, is our Good Sam Fund. Uh, we raise money to help you know, pay for reclaim fees if a dog is brought to the Franklin County Shelter, as an example, and uh, the person can't afford the $125 charge, whatever it might be. Uh, so the Good Sam Fund will pay for that. We also pay, and we just did this this morning, um, pay for uh, vet care for animals that might have been injured um, you know, while they were out missing from that family. So no, I've been involved just to help Leslie and support other volunteers, um, primarily raising some funds to help Pet FBI carry on that mission. Tom is being very kind by saying that he volunteered. Um, he did not. <laughs> when I came on board, he came with me. It was a package yeah, deal. That's usually <laughs> Two for uh, one. how it works. But that's actually how I met Tom originally was through uh, Animal Rescue right. and uh, program that we had uh, uh, with NBC television. And uh, we were able to uh, find a lot of homes for, for yeah. a, lot of, uh, a lot of pets. So was that a different program back then? Yeah, yeah. what Ron is speaking of, and that's where we met. And he was very gracious in supporting uh, Capillary Humane Society. At the time, in 2011 to 2012, I was executive director. It's now Columbus Humane. And Ron um, had paid for us to be on TV on Saturday mornings, plus also on the Gail Hogan show on Wednesdays at 11 o'clock. And we would bring a dog or a cat. And, and um, it was incredible. Um, I brought a, a pit bull one time called Gracie and we, and it was a great show seeing Gracie. She ended up getting adopted, but people commented on Facebook to Columbus Humane that boy, I would always walk on the other side of the street if I saw a pit bull, but until I saw Gracie, I thought, wow, that's really an, an incredible breed. Uh, then the last thing is we did get a call from someone whose dog was missing for over a year. And a friend saw that dog on TV and called and we had this great reunion. Um, it was wonderful. So Ron did a lot and the basement doctor did a lot to help us when I was at Columbus Humane, as it's called now, uh, to get more animals adopted, which was wonderful. Well, you know, animals cannot advocate for themselves, so they need advocates. And uh, right. Pet FBI is, uh, you know, a great, great program. And uh, you know, the two of you are building it into a you know, a national, even a bigger program than it than it's one. It's been around, uh, than it's been. It's, it, it's been around for quite a while, but I, I think that that it's finally uh, kind of getting some legs, and uh, things are. Uh, it's it's certainly necessary. Yeah, it's been. You're right. Thank you, Ron, for saying that because we. I think we're finally getting some some more national attention and um, joining up with some other groups, and so we're very excited about that. So is it is it more or less, let's say you lose a pet, you kind of can go on, post a picture, post where the, you last saw them or kind of where you live in a sense, and people kind of come together to say, hey, I think we found this pet, let's try to do this. Is that basically the, the gist of it? Yeah, so you can go on, it's a, it's a searchable database. So you go in and you post your lost pet, you upload the picture, you put your contact information, and then a couple of things happen. So first, um, Email and an email alert will go out to everybody who signed up to receive those alerts in our system. We do have people who just want to see the alerts and want to help get pets back home. Um, but if you've lost a pet, the next thing that happens is that email alert goes to everybody in your area who has found a pet. 
And then you will begin to receive any email alerts from anybody who's posted a found pet. Um, so you get the potential match email alerts. The um, report is now publicly viewed in our database where anybody can go in and search by location um, to see the lost or found pets in the area. Then it's also shared with our volunteer groups who will use social media to push that report out. Um, and then they will also follow up to assist you um, in you know, the next steps in following up with your lost pet. So that's kind of the way the system works. So it's, it's um, multi-pronged. Um, and then on our website, we just have a lot, lot of tips and advice for people of, you know, most people just don't know what to do. They're panic stricken, their pet is missing, and they just don't know what to do. So we walk them through the steps they need to take. Yeah. Is there like, I mean, is it, do you have one top level tip you can share now that you kind of like, you think is a good one? Oh gosh, there's so many. Um, you know what? The, my top tip is um, to be prepared, you know, to do the things you need to do prior to your pet going missing, such as get your pet microchipped. Um, and make sure that microchip has up-to-date contact information. There are a lot of people who have microchipped pets, but they don't have good contact information. So it doesn't do you any good. Yeah. And make sure your pet's wearing an ID tag with your phone number. Those are just the quickest ways to get your pet back home to you if it does run away. Yeah, I think, you know, preparing is definitely a good in this right. case because it's after the fact, you're like, man, I, sh I should have done that. I, I, exactly. I took the time. So no, but it's it's great that you guys have services like that. And it's a, it's a fantastic thing. And, you know, unfortunately, we do have to take a break um, right now. But when we come back, we kind of want to dive a bit more into both of your stories and how you kind of got to where you are today. So make sure to stay tuned to Grow Like a Pro on 610 WTVN. And we will be right back after this short break. Hello and welcome back to Grow Like a Pro on 610 WTVN with your hosts, Adam Bankhurst and Ron Greenbaum and our special guest, Leslie Poole, the executive director of Pet FBI and Tom Berry, the director of community relations at Pet FBI. And I do want to remind people that Grow Like a Pro is live on 610 WTVN every Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, but it also goes live on podcast services around the globe at that same time. So if you missed one of our earlier segments or you want to hear the whole episode again and share it with people, make sure you, you can find it wherever you love to listen to podcasts. But we want to get back to the story of, of Tom and Leslie. And we talked a lot about what Pet FBI is. But, you know, Pet FBI, you guys, like you said, you came in 2017. But I'd love to kind of go back a bit. I, something I love to ask our guests is, was what you're doing now kind of always a plan? Have you guys always wanted to do, do nonprofits? Or was there kind of a different plan that led you to where you are today? Oh, wow. So I think that um, I think think I always wanted to do something in nonprofit. I ended up um, doing a lot of fundraising. That was my entry into nonprofit work was fundraising, um, which that was not the plan at all. Um, actually, I don't know too many people who say I want to be a fundraiser um, <laughs> when I grow up. So that I fell into that accidentally. Um, and I was working for a, um, a camping organization. And we were working on a capital campaign to build some new buildings. And uh, I, I loved it. Uh, you know, I fell into it accidentally. I got into it and I loved it. And I did fundraising for 20 some years in nonprofits. Um, so yeah, not exactly the plan, but it worked out. Yeah, then after, after those 20 years, what kind of led to the next adventure, I would say? Yeah, so I um, worked for several organizations here in central Ohio, um, mostly doing fundraising, but then kind of doing a lot of nonprofit leadership. 
And um, again, I love leading teams. Um, I liked fundraising. I love having a mission. I want to feel good about what I do every day. I want to get up in the morning and feel like I'm making a difference. So um, I enjoyed all of that. Then got to the point where I felt like I really wanted to take a little bit of a different direction and work for myself and do some consulting. So I did. I, I um, left the nine to five and uh, started doing some consulting with some nonprofit groups uh, where I can kind of come in and you know, make a difference and help their teams. And, you know, I felt really good about that. And right about the time I did that, this opportunity with Pet FBI came up and I've always, I didn't work in the animal welfare field prior to this, but I, I've always loved animals. You know, we had animals, pets growing up. Um, it's always been a passion of mine. And so when this opportunity came up that the executive director at the time wanted to retire um, and we began the conversations, it just um, felt like the perfect fit and it has been. Yeah, that's great. And I, you know, I think that's, that's such a great story. And I think is, is really, you know, common with a lot of people is it may have not been your goal, but you keep putting yourself out there and you know, you want to help the world and help people and do stuff and opportunities just happen like that when you put yourself out there. So I'm glad you kind of found that and are doing some great work with Pet FBI. Yeah, it's always seemed that um, about the time I needed a change, something came along, another job opportunity or some other opportunity presented itself. Um, so I've been very fortunate in that regard. That's great. And how about you, Tom? Let's go back in your story a little bit. <laughs> we only have 10 minutes. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Uh, He's an old guy. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm going <laughs> like to, you'll know, you know? You'll, you'll know my, I'm older than Ron, but you'll know my age in a couple of minutes. Now, very, very <laughs> sincerely, it was not my career path, but it's an incredible career path for me. I'm very pleased. I just retired in December last year. Congratulations. Uh, in 19, I should say, 2019. And uh, um, this will give my age away. You know, during the 68 riots, I was at Rutgers University in Camden, New Jersey, and had been working in the community to help with some of the issues with poverty and all, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, went to law school, practiced law for 11 years, wasn't that happy, and uh, kind of got burned out, and I went into business rebuilding markets for a national company, and in doing that, I volunteered in homeless shelters, uh, New Jersey, St. Louis, Chicago, where I ended up covering half the country. And uh, uh, the company was sold and in, in a few, well, 1996, um, <clears throat> I became a consultant with the city of Chicago for homeless programs to help raise money for 162 homeless programs in the city. And as an accidental consultant, I was recruited and I ended up coming to Columbus, Ohio to um, to actually work with Leslie in uh, fundraising at Lutheran Social Services Faith Mission. So that's where we met and became friends. And years, years later, we, we got married. But, you know, it's, again, going from law to business, then to nonprofit, starting in Chicago, now in, in Ohio. Uh, after Faith Mission, I was at the Ohio His History Connection. And as Ron knows, at, uh, at the time, Capillary Humane Society. Uh, then took kind of a breather the last seven years and just did fundraising major gift work for um, Ohio Living Foundation and now retired. But uh, my, my avocation, you know, became my vocation, I could say. Uh, but since even before retiring, I've been involved with um, helping uh, children in abuse cases. I'm a CASA guardian at Lightham. 
Um, I'm on a board of another nonprofit. But more importantly, the work I think we're doing for animals um, through Pet FBI is incredibly rewarding, honestly. Um, we have a rescue ourselves who's actually, if Leslie could see, is sleeping right behind me, so I can't get up. <laughs> oh. uh, and uh, no, so, you know, I, I've really enjoyed being able to help Pet FBI. And I think, as, as you were asking, Adam, looking at my career path, I didn't plan it this way, but it worked out perfectly for me. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's a great thing, and it's a, it's amazing what you both have done. I mean, there's there's such a great history behind what you've done that have led you that I'm sure is helping you do your jobs today in Pet FBI. And you know, um, a lot of people like the idea of fundraising and be, being part of a nonprofit. But do you guys have any you know st- either stories of you know successes or failures you guys have had, or any tips for people looking to fundraise? Because I know it's sometimes it could be a lot e- a lot harder than it sounds. Yeah, it, it is hard. I think that if you're going to be in fundraising, you really need a thick skin because you're going to hear no a lot of times. You're going to have yeah. a lot of it's disappointment. It's the same as being in sales. Yeah, yeah. Right. right. It's the same thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So if you get your feelings hurt every time somebody says no to you, it's going to be, it's going to be rough <laughs> if you're in fundraising. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I had a... Um, a consultant, one of my mentors when I was first in fundraising that always said to me, you want to hear the no. A no is better than a maybe because once you hear a no, you can move on to the next person. So don't worry about it. Well, that's actually true. That's a great way to put it. Well, you know, sometimes you get a no and then you stay in touch and it turns into a yes. You know, you never, same thing again as in sales, you know, people's circumstances change and, um, it's important to reach out and, you know, rep- you, the two of you, again, have taught me a lot over the years in terms of uh, how to go about uh, using, you know, the brand as the basement right. doctor, particularly in Columbus, but also in other cities of how to help people uh, raise money. Yeah. And I think people get so concerned about raising money and getting that gift that they forget that the focus really needs to be on the donor. So I know, and Tom has done this many times where we've sat down with a donor and maybe we're not the right fit for that person, but we can help them find the right fit. And it may not be our nonprofit. It may be another nonprofit, but we can talk them through and help them find what their passion is and what they want to support. Um, it may be directing them to another nonprofit, but you're building that relationship. And a lot of times that person stays in touch with you and you do end up receiving something down the road. Um, but you really need to make that connection with a donor. Yeah. Yeah, Adam, just to, if I can, to add to that, you know, I think one of the things that I've learned and, and talked to people about, you know, I was asked a question by the last position I had, you know, what's the most important thing about, you know, fundraising? And I, what came to mind was two words, relationship building. And I think that's what Leslie's alluding and Ron is alluding to also. Uh, You will hear no, but if you believe in the mission as you might believe in the product you're selling, if you believe in the mission of the organization um, and you're willing to hear someone say no, you just keep moving forward because you do believe you have that passion yourself. But really, you know, building that relationship with potential donors and with current donors so that you can you know, keep those donations coming in is, is really important. Very briefly, I'll share a quick story that um, I think Ron is aware of. In a, my past position, I had a, a, a person who wanted to become a donor, uh, moved into Ohio from 
upstate New York. And he shared with me, although our mission at the time wasn't regarding children, he said, my passions in giving are, are with children. I introduced him to Lifetown and he made a large donation. I introduced him to Casa, he made a large donation. And partly because of that, he started supporting the organization I was working with. So I think it is relationship building. And again, as we've all said, believing in your mission and also being prepared to hear no, then keep moving forward. And I, th I think it's, you know, one thing that I, I've, I've heard Ron say a million times, I know it's a classic phrase, but a rising tide lifts all ships, basically. So it's like you're building those relationships, you're helping people in the community. And, and when you do that and you put yourself out there, it comes back around because they can trust you and they know you're a good person, you're putting in the good work. And like you said, I, I think one of the most important lessons that I've learned is that like, yeah, you, should, you shouldn't take no as like a stopping mm -hmm. point. Like you said, if you say no, you move on and then you find that next yes. I think it's so important to keep that in mind that just because you hear a no, that's not the end of your journey. It's just another roadblock. You got to break through basically. Yep, yep, exactly. So that's great. So, you know, thank, thank you guys for sharing that story. Unfortunately, we do have to take one more break, but we will be back very shortly with some more Grow Like a Pro on 610 WTVN. Hello and welcome back to Grow Like a Pro on 610 WTVN with your hosts Adam Bankhurst and Ron Greenbaum and our special guests, Leslie Poole, the Executive Director of PetFBI and Tom Barry, the Director of Community Relations at PetFBI. And if you missed our first two segments, we talked to Leslie and Tom about PetFBI, about their journey to get to PetFBI and all their incredible work they've done with other nonprofits and other things in communities before this. Um, but we kind of want to jump back a little bit towards the modern times because obviously elephant in the room we're still dealing with this stupid pandemic unfortunately <laughs> and we we kind of like to ask how have you guys you know managed through it how has pet fbi grown and adapted because like i said while everyone has different businesses and different things we're all sharing kind of a similar problem so i think hearing stories of of other people getting through it is a uh, can be an inspiring and hopefully hopeful thing for others yeah what has been interesting, um, you know, having this pandemic, because we uh, focus online so much, um, a lot of pieces of our business did, were not impacted. Uh, interestingly enough, we saw a decrease in lost pet reports when the pandemic first started. And I think that's just because more people were home with their pets. They were keeping a closer eye on them. A lot of the parks were closed. Um, pet sitters weren't coming in and out as much. Um, so we did see a bit of a decrease, um, but then it, you know, ramped right back up again. So we're about where we were the same time last year now. Um, but there was an interesting impact on the shelter systems and in animal welfare overall, because now shelters couldn't let people in. People were hesitant to drop dogs off at shelters um, because of the pandemic, because places were closed. So it really focused across the board with all animal welfare organizations, the focus on getting lost pets back home kind of came to the forefront, which has never been a conversation. I mean, you know, everybody knew it was a problem, but nobody really focused on it until recently. So that was an unexpected benefit uh, to the pandemic is now everybody's focused on this, what we call RTO or return to owner rate, um, which is uh, what exactly what pet FBI does. So on, you know, on that scale was good. We did have to pivot though. And Tom can talk to this a little bit more too. We locally, we do some events um, where we do microchip clinics and um, 
you know, things like that. And we were not able to hold those. We weren't able to go to events. A lot of our fundraising things were canceled. So um, we tried to, to do things in a different way. So one of the things we did instead of having a microchip clinic is we worked with the, sh the local shelter and said, hey, why don't you microchip? We'll pay for all dogs coming in this month to be microchipped for free. So, um, so we just pivoted a little bit and tried to come up with some different ideas to help the public without having the events that we thought we were gonna hold. Yeah. So yeah. And Tom, if you wanted to kind of go into a little bit about these events and kind of how things have shifted, I'd, I'd be very curious to see what you guys have been doing to try to, you know, raise money and, and what kind of stuff that, like I said, maybe inspire people to give an idea of how you can fundraise and throw a successful event. Well, I'd be glad to. And as, as Leslie mentioned, you know, before the pandemic, we would attend a number of uh, uh, pet related events, you know, WAGFest, which is a real big one uh, in August um, and others. And, you know, we'd have a booth there and, and share. And actually we have a, a stuffed dog called Chip and he's microchipped. So we even teach children how to, if they had to, you know, get it scanned to understand what the microchip is about. Um, but we would check on dogs that were coming into these events and find out and people would say, oh my God, yeah, we moved or we changed phone numbers. I'd have to let the company know. So we don't have their personal information, but we can scan their microchip dog or whatever cat even. And, and actually share with them who the company is so they can get online or call them and update their information. So that was important. Um, we do did miss, I should say, this past year doing, we hope to do four free microchip clinics. Um, we would purchase about a hundred microchips. The first one we had before the pandemic that falls in uh, 2019, um, we had the 100 microchips. We put it at notices out that we we're going to do this free microchip clinic. We had a vet volunteer to help us and a vet tech. We actually microchipped, I think, 48 dogs and 42 cats. Um, so it was, it was very successful. Um, it was free. It was done. And so we're looking forward to doing that once the pandemic is over. We'll, we'll set up more with volunteers, veterinarians, and so on. Uh, so that's, that's important for us. One of the things that we're also trying to do is to share, you know, the impact of our efforts, which which helps with fundraising. If someone wants to donate, and as you know, Leslie will attest, we a lot of the donations we get are kind of emotional because of the reunion of a dog, and it could be from family members or the person themselves uh, who got their dog or cat back or bird in a case. So you know, we. We do our best to update you know, our website as to what we're going. And I think Leslie will share that in Ohio, in this area, we have like 65,000 followers or so on Facebook. So we try to do a lot. We send out personal notes to say, thank you. We provided our donors with updates. Um, two years ago, we had over 17,000 um, actions you know, to help recover animals. Um, and this past year in 2020, it's over 20,000. And as Leslie has shared in, in absorbing, so to speak, merging or absorbing this other national pet database, uh, we've, we are seeing probably three, if not four times the number of actions. Uh, so there's a lot going on, there's a lot of training going on. Um, and we just hope that, you know, as the news gets out about the, you know, the importance of, of the mission, and that's what's most important. If we share how important the mission is, if you have a lost pet or you found a pet, that's what's most important. And that in and of itself will, will provide us with more support from a fundraising standpoint. 
Yeah, <clears throat> you know, I think you you know, Pet FBI has got a great name too, and and it also has a great reputation. You know, it's funny I mentioned it to people here and there, and it's amazing. A lot of them have uh, used the service or know right. somebody that's used it, and uh, so it's it's highly successful. Um, but again, I think it's about uh, getting the word out, and uh, you know, everything costs money, so. It's about, uh, you know, fundraising and, and, you know, again, in this, in the pandemic, everybody, you know, the, all the nonprofits are uh, stressed, particularly those that are trying to feed people and house people, things like that. But, you know, animals are a member of the family and uh, it's really, you know, devastating when one is gone. It, yeah, that, it is. I think people are, are recognizing now that that human animal bond is so critical. Um, and it's really, I mean, it affects, it's not just in the animal welfare world, it's in all social services. If you have a person who is um, being evicted, which is happening right now, and they have a pet, where are they going to go? What, what shelters take people and their pets? What hotels, you know, what, there are rentals that don't accept pets. Um, so that whole, we, as a nonprofit community, um, as a community, we need to look at the animal human bond as part of, um, the whole picture when we're helping people in crisis. And I just went off on a soapbox there. Sorry about that. No, I love that. No, no, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what, what it's all we about. Need to hear. And, and, yeah. and Ron, you know, your, Ron, your point's well taken. We recently, we don't talk too much about this, but there's a, a gig worker who's been out of work because of the pandemic uh, for almost a year. And he couldn't even get transportation after his dog was lost and was recovered by someone brought to the local uh, shelter. And uh, he couldn't even get transportation up there. So we actually drove him up there, picked up his dog, paid for the reclaimed fee and brought him back to his home. Uh, so there's a few stories like that where you can really feel and see the impact of the pandemic on people financially and how it impacts their pets. So, um, you know, we, we like to know that if someone loses a pet or finds a pet, that Pet FBI will be there to get them back together as quickly as possible. Yeah, it's, it's something that, you know, you never hope to go through, but it's nice that there's services like Pet FBI when it happens to know it's, it's a respected place that you're like, you know, I, I can do this and this will give my pet the best chance to, to come back home. So it's great. Um, so, we do have to take one more break before our final segment of the show and have to let Leslie and Tom go. So make sure to stay tuned to Grow Like a Pro on 610 WTVN, and we will be right back. Hello, and welcome back to Grow Like a Pro on 610 WTVN with your hosts, Adam Bankhurst and Ron Greenbaum, and our special guests, Leslie Poole, the executive director of Pet FBI, and Tom Berry, the director of community relations at Pet FBI. And if you missed our previous segments, we talked so much to Tom and Leslie about the amazing work they're doing at Pet FBI and how they're reuniting owners with their lost pets, and the story that got them to today, basically, and how they've you know, survive the pandemic and all that great stuff. And unfortunately, we're at my least favorite part of the show where we soon have to say goodbye to them. But before we do that, I kind of want to talk a little bit about, you know, you know, you mentioned something about either obtaining or working with a national database. And I know Pet FBI was founded in 1998 and it was, you know, centrally located in Ohio and focused on Ohio. But in about 2014, you guys tried to expand more nationally and are really trying to say, hey, we want this service to 
help people all over. So I kind of want to dive a bit deeper into that expansion and how that's been going and what you guys are hoping to do in the future to keep helping more pets around the country. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. So you're right. When we first started, um, it was pretty much focused here uh, in central Ohio. Uh, then around 2014, they, uh, the database was rebuilt. Our, our platform was rebuilt and we expanded to the entire United States. Um, and so at that point, you know, anybody anywhere could put in um, a lost or found pet report. Uh, so we kind of slowly rolled out, um, you know, as a nonprofit, you're always advertising and promoting on a shoestring budget. So we take advantage of things like uh, Google AdWords grants and, you know, any way that we can promote our services without spending a lot of money. Um, so we continue to build the database and then we uh, rebuild it again and uh, improved it to make it more user-friendly. And we were really starting to get some traction throughout the United States. Um, at that point, we started talking to other groups that are doing basically the same thing. When we were started, our goal was to be the central, one central location, because we know that if all of the lost pet reports and all of the found pet reports are in the same database, you're gonna have a higher reunion rate. So that was our goal is to try to aggregate all of that information to get it in the same place. So we started talking to other organizations who were doing the same thing. And we began conversations with an organization called Helping Lost Pets, which is based in Canada. And they were doing the same thing with a free database. So at the time we said, well, why don't we, and this was in 2018, why don't we just share reports at this point? Anything going into your database will be imported into ours and the same thing, anything in our database will be imported into yours. So we started sharing reports at that point and they were covering the United States and Canada. Um, so that grew our uh, footprint quite a bit. We also began collaborating with other volunteer groups um, such as Lost Dogs of America and Lost Cats of America. And they were um, on a statewide basis promoting these lost and found pet reports that were put, being put in the database. So now, 2021, uh, the founder of Helping Lost Pets is retiring. We are now rebuilding our platform once again um, and we're gonna roll it out. And now everything from um, Helping Lost Pets will be redirected to Pet FBI. So finally, we are going to have the one national database that we've always hoped that we would have where all these pet reports will be in one location. So that in a nutshell has been our last few years. So we do serve the entire United States and Canada at this point. That's fantastic. Well, you know, what, what I think was interesting to me, I never really thought about, but, you know, during... Um, uh, hurricanes or, you know, other big catastrophic events, that's when a lot of people lose a lot of their animals. And to have, you know, a uh, national, you know, database or even international database, I think sometimes is important. I, I was involved in Florida in uh, a rescue uh, after a hurricane from the Bahamas, from another organization that I I'm a board member of, and uh, there were pilots flying planes to the Bahamas, finding animals and bringing them to Florida. It was, it was amazing. And, yeah. uh, you know, but again, people, when, when somebody finds their lost dog or cat or bird or any animal, it, it's, it's just, there's nothing uh, better. It's, it's like finding a, a lost child. It's, it's yeah. the same thing. 
Yeah. And the hurricane, you're right, Ron, we've had this year with the hurricanes and the wildfires out West, um, you know, that's a huge thing to be able to put those reports in one national database um, because rescuers are just doing the best that they can as quickly as they can to get those pets out of danger. Um, and they often end up going into one shelter and then possibly being transported to another shelter to make room for more critical needs. And so those animals get travel around a lot. Um, so having them posted in one place where we're all looking for them makes a huge difference. It, it increases the rate that they're gonna get back home. You know, unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're going to have fewer um, natural disasters in the coming years. So um, we do, you know, we try to be prepared every year for hurricane season um, and fire season. Yeah, well, well actually, one of my mom's cats that, you know, I've had pretty much my whole life was rescued from Hurricane Katrina all those years back. So it's like, Aww. yeah, I mean, you know, so, you know, out of disaster can come some great things and, Absolutely. you know, helping people. So it's, 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 you got to take the good with the bad and it's an yeah. unfortunate thing, but it's great that people like you and other people are making a difference. So it's fantastic. Yeah. And um, it's, um, we just had, um, and you, you always wonder, I'm like, I, I wish these animals could talk and tell their story. I oh mean, just God. this week we had a, a dog, a pit bull, He's been missing for since October. The um, owner filed a report in October. He just showed up at the shelter this week. So wow. No, and they they found him. They saw the report at the shelter. The shelter filed a report, so they saw the found report, um, match it up with the lost report, and the dog is back home. But he's been missing since October. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, Isn't that obviously, crazy? yeah. Somebody's probably been feeding him, or you know, and yeah, he, uh, he escaped again. <laughs> yeah. Probably that right. happens, um, yeah. Or the person, whoever found him, you know, decided, well, maybe I should check with the shelter. I don't know. You just never know what happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, right. you know, I, I'd love to continue talking to you guys forever, but unfortunately our show is coming to an end. But before it does, I want to give you guys a chance to tell people how they can get involved with Pet FBI, whether that's volunteering, helping out, or even being able to donate and help you guys on your mission. What's, what's the best way to get in contact with you and to help out? Yeah, you can go to our website. It's petfbi.org. And when you go to the site, you can see there's a button that says how to help. And it'll talk about donations or even if you just want to um, put add us to your Amazon Smile account <laughs> so we get benefit that way. Or if you want to volunteer, there's a volunteer application on the site. But yeah, petfbi.org. So is the Amazon Smile, is that when they make a purchase, part of it goes to you guys? Is that yeah, of if they um, add us, go in and... Um, ask to have their you know, portion of what they buy go to pet FBI, they can do that. Yeah. So then when you shop, you just, and people do a lot of shopping on Amazon. Yeah, I can personally yeah. attest. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, it's uh, it's, it is a great, I, I love that, that Amazon offers that because it's such an easy way to help out and it. You don't have to kind of feel the pain from your end, which is nice. Right. <laughs> well, that's great. And, um, I guess one final thing that, you know, sometimes we like to talk about fun things. So what pets do you guys have? I, I, I'd be curious to see. I know you mentioned a rescue. Yeah, we have um, our rescue dog, Sai uh, is his name. He is a double Merle. Uh, so he is, he's all white. He's a cattle dog mix and he is deaf and he has some vision impairment, but he is the best boy in the world. <laughs> yep. And then we also have four cantankerous senior cats <laughs> that uh run the household oh yeah that's amazing <laughs> yep 
And I know, Ron, you have someone special too, don't you? Well, I have my black lab Molly, which incidentally got a boyfriend here a couple of weeks ago because <laughs> uh, my wife was yelling, what is Molly doing outside? And we looked out the back door and I, I said, Molly's sitting right here. And there was another black lab Turned out his name was Archie, and we opened the door, and Archie walked in the house. And uh, <laughs> fortunately, Archie had great tags, and I called the tag, and the woman uh, answered. And it turns out it was the mother of my daughter Betsy, who's Adam's wife's sorority sister. Small world. Small world. Archie just wandered over from about a block away, and. Uh, it was just kind of interesting. <laughs> Though they were almost twins. I mean, it was it was pretty amazing. But uh, Archie funny. Archie didn't want to leave. He, yeah. he wanted to do, <laughs> Molly is pretty cool. Molly, yeah. That's funny. I love that he just walked in. I know. Yeah, like, he, yeah, he yeah, did. He just house. walked in, and he not only did he walk in, but he grabbed some of uh, one of Molly's favorite toys. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't tough. care. She was just glad to have a you know a pal. Oh, well, I love it. That's, that's, just, that's a great success story to end on. Chip your pets <laughs> in is, and make stuff is. happen. And, you know, Tom and Leslie, thank you so both so much for taking the time to share your story. And we hopefully can have you guys back on one day to continue telling the story of the great work you're doing at and, FBI. Uh, for the audience out there, you know, make sure you volunteer or donate. It's a great organization. Oh, yeah, definitely. But yeah, thank you both so much. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. And thank you, Ron, for all of your support. Yeah. And, take care and also to all our listeners thank you so much for being a part of another episode of grow like a pro we go live on 610 wtvn every saturday at 5 p.m eastern standard time and on podcast services around the globe and until next time we hope you have a great day and or night and we will see you next week bye guys bye bye bye